We are looking at Revelation chapter 2, uh, verses 8 to 11. And uh, if you can choose your translation, uh, we're going to be using the NIV. Okay, so Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. This is the reading of God's word. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Amen. Um, well, if you've uh, been with us, you know that last week uh, we launched a new series uh, in the book of Revelation. And we're looking at Jesus' letters to seven churches in Asia Minor. Okay, And John is uh, writing this book in a time when Christians are being heavily persecuted for their faith. And so uh, churches are having to kind of figure out what it means to follow Jesus in a culture that makes it very difficult to do so. Okay, and, and each of these letters carries a unique message uh, from Jesus to that specific church. And I thought this would be such a fitting series for us as we get ready to reopen our church uh, and think through what it means for us to follow Jesus in this cultural moment. And, and uh, what you're going to see is that most of these letters follow a very similar pattern. It's something called the sandwich method. And if you uh, work in the corporate world, or uh, I'm, I'm sure you do this intuitively, but the sandwich method is a method of communication. It's like when you want to give someone bad news or negative feedback or you want to criticize someone, you like sandwich the bad parts with the good parts. So like your boss might call you in one day and be like, hey, like, I, you know, first off, I just want to say I love the energy, you know, you're bringing to this group, but you got to do your job, you know, like, uh, you know, and then they'll sandwich it with something good, you know, but we're committed to you and we're excited to work with you. Um, but it's kind of a method of communication that uh, many of us are probably familiar with. And most of these letters follow that pattern. Okay, so Jesus typically opens with some kind of uh, affirmation. So he'll let them know something that they're doing well. And then he'll follow that up with some kind of corrective. He'll, he'll let them know maybe what they're not doing so well. And then he'll usually close the letter with some kind of reassuring promise. Okay. Uh, you know, we saw this last week in, in Jesus' letter to the church in Ephesus, right? He starts by saying, you guys are doing a great job. You know your doctrine so well. Um, you know, you've persevered through hardships. But then he says, but I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. You've let go of the most important thing. And so you're going to see that same pattern in a lot of these letters. And the only exceptions to that rule are his messages to the church in Laodicea, who Jesus has nothing good to say about, uh, and then his letters to the church in Philadelphia and the church in Smyrna, which we're looking at today, okay? And to these churches, Jesus only has good things to say, okay? So these are the only letters in Revelation where, where there is no condemnation, no criticism, where Jesus says, you're exactly where I want you to be, so just keep doing what you're doing, 
Okay, and so when we read that, we obviously want to know, like, what are these church, two churches doing? Because they're kind of held up by Jesus as the model for the kind of church you want to be. Well, well, what do these two churches have in common? And you might be surprised by the answer. Uh, the only thing these two churches have in common is that they're communities marked by suffering. Now, I want you to think about that. The only two churches that Jesus has nothing bad to say about are the two churches marked by suffering. Like when you think of a thriving church, what are the things that typically come to mind? A lot of people, beautiful building, really great programs for kids, amazing music, right? In fact, Churches spend millions of dollars every year on these things. They hold conferences and hire consultants and bring in world-class speakers. Why? Because they've been told that these are the things you have to do to be a successful church. I mean, think about the way we talk about churches. Oh, have you been to that one church? Did you see how they did their VBS? Amazing. Did you see how beautiful their sanctuary is? Have you heard their band? Have you heard that preacher? And yet, Jesus doesn't mention any, any of these things. The only characteristic he finds worth mentioning is that these churches are enduring suffering. When was the last time any of us said, I want to go to that church because it looks like they're suffering? We would never say that. And yet, these are the churches Jesus holds up and he says, they understand what it means to follow me. Okay, so let me start by saying this. If you're here today and you are going through stuff, maybe you're, you're tired or, or your heart is heavy, maybe you're navigating loss or grief or doubt or anxiety, I want you to know that you may be standing at the very center of God's will for your life. And I think we need to hear that in 2020 and 2021, this season that has been marked by so much pain and confusion, to know that these things are not indicators of God's absence, they're invitations into God's presence. Okay, let me say that again. Suffering is not an indicator of God's absence, it's an invitation into God's presence. Okay, um, just to give us a little bit of context, uh, Smyrna was considered like the most beautiful city in the entire region. Okay, so it was a cultural hub, uh, had the largest theater in Asia Minor. It was known for its uh, athletic stadium and library. So uh, definitely a place you'd want to raise your family. Okay, it's also known for its utter devotion to the Roman state. Okay, so there were these beautiful temples that they constructed to honor Rome. And so anyone who wasn't willing to declare the Roman emperor as God, you're basically asking for persecution. You would lose your job, your reputation, even your life if you did not bow down and worship Rome. Okay, And, and I think sometimes the idea of religious persecution is hard for us to understand here in America. Um, and we may not fully get it, but I think we can all agree on one thing. There is always going to be a cost to following Jesus. In fact, giving your life to anything will always cost you something. You cannot give your life to your career and expect not to pay for it in some way. 
right? You cannot give your life to fame and wealth and not expect to pay for it in some way. And similarly, there is a cost to following Jesus. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And if following Jesus doesn't cost you anything, I'm sorry to say this, you're probably not following him. If I ever meet new parents who tell me they didn't have to give up anything once they had kids, I would question their parenting because everything we give our lives to comes with a cost. And the church in Smyrna understood this, right? Like as a result of their allegiance to Jesus, they lost everything. It says in verse 9, I know your afflictions and your poverty. They were poor. And not only were they poor, we also read that they were being slandered by religious leaders. It says, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Okay, so you have these Christians. They're being torn apart by both religious people and irreligious people. They're hated by both the liberals and the conservatives. Okay, and here's the worst part about it. Jesus says, there's more suffering on the way. This isn't it. In verse 10, he says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Notice he doesn't say what you might suffer. He says what you are about to suffer. It's definitely going to happen. And then he goes on and he says, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. He's saying, look, I know the season's already been so rough for you and your family. And I really hate to say this, but some of you are going to have to suffer more. And, and I feel like that's been like the mantra for many of us this past year, right? It was like one thing after another. Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, things kept getting worse. It was nonstop. And, and I think we all learned the hard way that suffering is an inevitable fact of life and being a follower of Jesus does not make us exempt from it. Uh, you know, some of you know our church has been doing an alpha course for the past nine weeks. I love uh, everyone who's been in this course. It's been such a blessing for me. Uh, and this past Tuesday's topic was on healing. And the big question we were wrestling with was, does God even heal today? Right? And, and a lot of people had, you know, different answers, different ways they were thinking about it. And at the end, we asked people to share if they needed healing or if they knew anyone who needed healing. And it was such an emotional session uh, for me personally because you just realize how difficult this year has been for so many people in our church. You know, you, you wouldn't know it like just by... Uh, looking at them on this Zoom chat. But some of the things that people have been shouldering this past year uh, are unthinkable. And it was this big reminder that nobody escapes suffering. It doesn't matter how kind of a person you are or how faithful you are or how devoted you are. It is a fact of life that at some point, all of us will experience pain. Well, uh, the obvious question is why, right? Why does a good God allow us to experience suffering? And, and, and when we say that suffering people are exactly where God wants them to be, uh, I don't know about you, but something about that seems off, 
right? It makes God feel sadistic and heartless, right? Uh, but one thing we have to be careful of is not to mistake the outcomes of suffering with the suffering itself. Okay, let me say that again. We can't mistake the outcomes of suffering with the suffering itself. Notice Jesus' choice of words in verse 10 when he says, the devil will put some of you in prison. He doesn't say God. He says the devil. So he's making it clear right there that God himself does not cause the pain and suffering in our lives. He can't do something that's contrary to his character. All right, so in this sense, we know that God is, He's not the one orchestrating the suffering. His heart breaks when he sees the lostness of humanity. And so God doesn't cause pain, but what we see throughout Scripture is that God does allow it. He does use it, but he's never not in control. Um, we see this all the way back in the book of Genesis. When Joseph says to his brothers who sold him out to slavery, uh, he says, you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In other words, he looks at these brothers, like his loved ones who literally sold him out to slavery, and he says, you wanted to hurt me, but I can stand here and say God used everything you did for his good and perfect will. In James 1, we read, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I mean, think about it, right? A product that has never been tested to see if it can do what it claims to do isn't worth a whole lot. All right? I don't want a faith that's only going to sustain me when times are good. Right? I want a faith that's, that's going to sustain me during a pandemic. I want a faith that's going to sustain me when I have nothing left to hold on to. And as hard as this may be to stomach, enduring difficult circumstances is the only way you will know what your faith is really made out of. The Bible says trials are like fire that tests your faith, just like gold is tested by fire. Um, the way people test gold, test whether or not gold is real, is that they, they take that gold and they put it in a pot and they bring that pot uh, bring the heat up to like 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, right? And doing that melts away all the impurities so that you're just left with pure gold. And in the end, you'll know whether or not that gold was real. Um, I always tell couples on their wedding day, this is the day your lives will change forever, but today is not the day you'll know what your marriage is made of. You will not know what your marriage is made of until it is tested in fire. And I know many marriages were tested this year and are still being tested. And I know it's painful, but it's the only way to know if you meant what you said when you said, for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse, right? You will not know what a friendship is made out of until it is tested in fire. You can be there for someone when things are great, but are you going to be there when things are not so great? You know, I would never have known what our church was made of if not for this past year. Would I ever wish this past year on anyone ever again? Absolutely not. 
But I also know that I speak for our staff and our leaders when I say we've all grown so much trying to figure out how to navigate this pandemic. We've all been confronted with situations that forced us to ask, do we really love this church? And that never would have happened without this past year. And, and, and I know that some of the wounds may still be too fresh for some of us, and so that's okay. But I really believe that one day, all of us will look back on this season and we will say, look at the ways God used this season to humble us, to refine us, to make us more like him. You know, Jesus says in verse 10, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Don't give up even when you feel like it's going to kill you because I will give you life. Now, you may be asking, like, how do I do that? How do I endure when it feels like there's nothing good happening in my life? I can only be stretched so far. You keep saying, just be faithful, just endure. How do I trust God when, 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 you, you know, when, when God says he's going to give me life? Well, listen to how this letter begins. It says, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The key phrase there is I know. This isn't just Jesus throwing out something out there to make us feel better. Like when people say, hey, I know how you feel when they really don't know how you feel. Jesus is different. He knows our afflictions and our poverty more intimately than we could ever comprehend. He knows what it feels like to be slandered by those around him because he himself has experienced it firsthand. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. The power to endure suffering comes not from our own strength, but it comes from placing our trust in the one who, though he was rich, became poor so that you and I might be rich. Um, not sure if you've seen this video that went viral recently. Uh, it was of a 69-year-old uh, elected official in Westchester, Ohio, uh, Lee Wong. Uh, he was speaking in a meeting about the racism he's faced as an Asian person living in America, right? And he, and he talks about how people to this day question his patriotism because he doesn't look American enough, right? And there's this powerful moment um, during the meeting when he stands up and he unbuttons his shirt and you just see these large scars on his chest, and, and, and um, you know, and, and these scars are from his time serving in the U.S. military. And he says, is this patriot enough? Like you could hear a pin drop in that room. And, and, and not that anyone should ever feel the need to prove they belong in this country, but the message he was trying to convey was that his love for his country wasn't just theoretical. It was battle-tested which is why he was, he was so heartbroken to see what was happening to his fellow brothers and sisters because it's humiliating to be rejected by a country you were willing to die for, right? 
Well, Jesus stands before us today and he says, you want to know how you can trust me that I love you, that I'm going to take care of you, that I'm going to hold you in your darkest moments? And he shows us the scars in his hands and in his side. The difference, though, is that Jesus wasn't just willing to die for us. A lot of people can say they were willing. He actually did die. And he gave his life for people who rejected and humiliated him. He did not leave when things got hard. He stayed. Hebrews 12 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus says, trust me, my love for you is battle tested. Um, This morning I'd like to share something uh, I haven't shared with many people in our church. But uh, 2020 was a particularly difficult year for me and my family. not only as a new pastor trying to lead a church through a pandemic, um, but uh, last November, um, my mom was diagnosed with advanced stage uh, breast cancer. And uh, Uh, and she'll be starting chemo uh, in the next few weeks. And those of you who uh, follow me on social media, and uh, those of you who've seen all my uh, Mama Min posts over the years, uh, probably can imagine how uh, jarring it's been uh, for our family. Uh, To see someone uh, we always believed uh, was superhuman battle something as devastating as cancer. Uh, And it was one of those moments uh, last year when it was like, uh, God, like, are you serious? You know, just just when uh, you thought 2020 could not have gotten uh, any worse, uh, you know, what a way to close out the year. And uh, it's been such an interesting journey um, to have to navigate this in my first year as a lead pastor um, because my job is in some sense to hold people's grief and, and walk with them through difficult circumstances. Uh, but when it came to my own, um, I felt helpless. And uh, I still do to some extent. And... Uh, uh, I'm not going to lie, uh, it's been very hard to preach every week uh, about the hope of the Messiah and the promise of the resurrection, because um, every week I have to ask myself, uh, do, do I really believe what I'm preaching? You know, but uh, in, in that sense, this, this letter has been such a, a huge source of comfort for me, uh, and uh You know, I feel like Jesus is speaking directly to me when he says, I know your afflictions. 
I know your poverty. I know what you're going through. Um, I know your faith isn't always there. But, but for me, the cross is a reminder that God isn't with me on the basis of my faithfulness. He stays and he endures in spite of my unfaithfulness, in spite of the ways I doubt him and in spite of the ways that uh, I reject him, I, I, I don't believe him. And, uh, you know, I know that my story is not unique to our community. Um, I asked one of our CG leaders this week, uh, who I think, I personally think has had one of the most uh, difficult seasons uh, imaginable. Um, and, and, but, you know, to be honest, you wouldn't know how much she's been through because of the joy that just emanates from her at all times. And uh, uh, I asked her, I asked her this week, um, what keeps you going? You know, how do you keep it together? And, and the first thing she said was, like, that's, that's really nice of you to say, but um, I don't, <laughs> I can't always keep it together. And I don't think there's anything strong about me. She said, in fact, I'm very honest with God about my resentment toward him, about my doubts and my questions as to why it seems like I can't catch a break. And she said, but over time, I've learned that God always gives me exactly what I need. And sometimes that's literally just surviving that day. And she said, even when her faith is at its weakest, through these trials, she's found that coming to God anyway, still wanting to believe in him anyway, is in and of itself all that she needs to do for God to do something powerful in her heart and in her life. And this is what Jesus is saying when he says, I know your poverty, yet you are rich. He doesn't say, I know your poverty, but just hold on. One day you'll be rich. I know your poverty. Give it some time. I'll make you rich. No, he says, you are rich now. In your poverty, now. For those who have placed their faith in Jesus, what you have in the midst of your suffering far outweighs anything you could gain in this life. It doesn't make the pain of living in a broken world any easier to stomach, but it gives us the assurance that God will never leave us or forsake us when we find ourselves in the darkest valleys of our lives. C.S. Lewis, uh, in the book, The Problem of Pain, he writes this. He says, uh, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And what he's saying is that what we often perceive as God's silence in the midst of suffering may in fact be God's loudest shouts to invite us into a deeper awareness of his love and his presence. Um, I'd like to close today. Um, this week, there was a song that I heard uh, by Maverick City Music uh, you should look it up on YouTube when you get a chance. Uh, but the lyrics of the song, I think, were, uh, are, are so fitting for our present moment. Um, I know they were a huge encouragement to me. And I like to close just by reading these lyrics for us. It goes like this. Um, this goes out to the worried. This goes out to the stressed. 
sorting out a million thoughts running through your head. To everyone that's waiting for better days ahead, tired, frustrated, and living once I say, please don't hold your breath. And verse 2 goes, sometimes you're in the desert, sometimes you feel the pain, sometimes he calms the storm, sometimes he lets it rain. Please don't hold your breath. And the chorus goes, just breathe. It's a miracle we can breathe. There's power in the way that we breathe. Release your heavy burden and let everything that has breath praise the Lord. This is why we have breath. Praise the Lord. Let me pray for us. Let's close. God of mercy, we take a collective breath together as a community. I know this year, uh, this season has been so hard um, for those of us, uh, you know, whether we show it or not, I know that many of many of those in our church are carrying just unimaginable burdens on their shoulders. Uh, the burden of unemployment, of uh, grief, uh, loss, loneliness, depression, uh, anxiety. And in a time when we can't physically be together, when we can't uh, give each other hugs and, and be there for one another, um, I know it's been so hard. And uh, we read a letter like this, and when we read the words, be faithful even to the point of death, that's what we feel like, God. Um, many of us just feel like we're reaching that point. But yet we're reminded this morning that the power to hold ourselves up does not come from within us. The power to hold ourselves up comes from the one who endured, the one who did stay when things got hard, the one who was faithful to the end, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was obedient to the point of death on the cross. And so this morning, may we look at the cross, may we fix our eyes on Jesus, and may we see the cross as your guarantee that even in the moments when we feel like we can't hold ourselves up by our, by our own strength, especially in those moments, we pray that that image would remind us that we're loved, that we're cared for by a God who is sovereign, who is good, and who stopped at nothing so that his people would not be in suffering forever, but so that we would have a hope to endure the brokenness of this world and this life. Thank you for this church. Thank you that we can. Uh, thank you that we have a community of people we can journey with together. We ask for more of your grace, your mercy in this season, and even as we get ready to gather again uh, as a community, we pray that we would never lose this sense of need and desperation for your presence. 
Uh, we thank you for this poignant word. Uh, we ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen.